Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today we have two guests. Very exciting. They are the hosts of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. They're described as millennial dads figuring out life, art, and culture on the other side of the evangelical bubble. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Brenda. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Long time no see and no speak. <laughs> so this is Adrian and Josh. We actually just recorded a conversation for their podcast. So go mm -hmm. check that out. And we want to dive into masculinity, gender roles, the sort of messages that you get as men in the church, because mm -hmm. I think so, like my audience is so largely female um, identifying, which is like, I think it's like 89% or something. I would love to have more men uh, in my life and my channel, but for right now, that's who I'm speaking to. And I just think it's so important because right now, for example, I'm reading a book by a sex educator named Peggy Ornstein, um, or I guess a sex researcher is what you call her. And she wrote a book 12 years ago, ago called Girls and Sex. And she now has written a book called Boys and Sex, where she interviewed a bunch of adolescents into college age, just about their experience as men, all the pressures they received. And in the forward, she was just talking about, or not the forward, but the introduction, she was talking about how she really resisted researching boys and men because she saw them as the problem, almost as the enemy, mm -hmm. because so many of the sexual issues and problems that women have are clearly going to come from our sexual partners who all, a lot of times happen to be men. But when you dive into this book, I'm actually so heartbroken because I'm currently raising a son. And when I realize all of these scripts that you guys have gotten, all of the ways that your sweetness and your sensitivity and your emotions have been regulated and forced, not only in non-Christian culture, but then you also have the additional baggage, I'm sure, of Christian culture, which is a whole different level of masculinity and what it's meant to be. So 
all of that said, I just think it's really important conversation for us to hold, even if a lot of us listening are female identifying, because you guys are a huge part of our problem. You're a huge pain in our ass, <laughs> potentially, <laughs> yep. potentially lifelong. And obviously, the more we can understand what you have been through with purity culture, the more we can feel capable of not only helping you on your journeys when we are partnered up with you guys, but also just to be more empathetic and understanding that this mm -hmm. has hurt both of us. There's not one party that's hurting more or less. Um, would you agree that purity culture is harmful to men? Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, Brenda. <laughs> All right. So that's it. Uh, love you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys yeah. so much. You beautiful people. <laughs> Um, yes, yes, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so you were both born and raised in the church culture. So was mm. there ever a time where there was a distinct difference between non-Christian masculinity and what that was versus Christian masculinity and what that was? Do you want to take this one, Adrian? Yeah, I, I can only speak to Christian masculinity yeah. because that's all I ever really knew. Wow. Um, so like my great grandpa was a preacher and my grandpa was a preacher and my dad was a preacher. And so like from the earliest memories I have, everything about being a man was always wrapped so closely to what it means to be a godly man, whatever that means, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so I remember really early on, um, probably the biggest messaging we, we would always get as kids, like, like remember uh, being in the Lord's army? I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. And you would have all these marching, and and it yeah. was right from the moment you are introduced to your identity as a man, then you're introduced to your identity as a godly man, and then you're immediately a soldier in the army. Um, wow. it, it's baked in, right? Like, you have to fight you have to wage war and and that is stuff that is kind of just built in it's the water we were swimming in and so i think i came from a very um like a pentecostal background growing up and then went to a like a charismatic mega church kind of non-denominational thing which is a little bit more emotive you know like Hillsong music and is like this like really like epic kind of ballads where emotion is a little bit more expected, but then very quickly went into a Baptist and reformed um, church, which was very like, we're going to swing the pendulum away from how you feel. And now we're going to only talk about the sort of cognitive ascent. What do I know about God? Leave the emotions at the door. That's where that's for all the women, but the men talk about the nature of God and the, the traits of God. And so all I know, it wasn't until recent, maybe like four years ago when I started to have a faith change, um, both Josh and I and Dirty Rotten Church has kind of stemmed from that change. But it's like for what, 30 years, the only sort of masculinity you know is, is quote, godly masculinity, which is really just a hijacked version. Um, Josh, do you want to speak to kind of your experience? Yeah, um, really similar, uh, grew up in the church, um, was always in and around Southern Baptist stuff for, forever. Um, I grew up in the pew, I was there every Sunday, and then when I got into middle school and started 
like Adrian and I were both worship leaders. And so when I started doing music at the church, I mean, I was there for everything, right? And then when you're a youth, a youth, good Lord, when, when youths, are you youth? <laughs> um, when you're younger and you're playing music, like the, the older people are like, oh, you should play on stage with us too to make us seem cooler and more hip. So I was there all the time. Um, so, so much of what I did and so many people that I hung out with outside of church were all in church. Like if I wasn't at church, I was hanging out with my friends from church. Yeah. Um, and like Adrian said, so much of the masculinity and the scripts we were handed, I'm starting to discover them now in the way I uh, act with my wife or I act with my, my kids. Uh, Adrian and I both have uh, a son and a daughter, not together uh, with our wives. Um, <laughs> But by the amount of times we text and hang out, you would think... And the way that our families are always yeah, in close proximity. We're just one big family. <laughs> yeah, one big commune down here. Um, but yeah, so much of it was implied through the messaging, through the groups we were invited to. Iron sharpens iron. Like all these really heavy-handed... Yeah, like man, like man retreats. Yeah, a lot, yeah. A lot of things with flannel. Um, <laughs> like just dark grilling, beers, grilling stout meat. beers. Yeah, a lot of meat, <laughs> potatoes. Um, oh, wow. And then that carried through like our, our reform stage where you had like the very vocal, masculine, top two buttons unbuttoned because so the, the hairs can pop out on your chest, Mark Driscoll. Right. Screaming about how God hates you and like you and this religious anger Ferber, like, yes, God does hate me. I'm such a horrible man. Um, and then for me, a, a lot, and what I'm realizing now, just discovering the, the beauty of my emotions, so much of what I took that to mean was like, there's no time for emotions. Put your head down, do the work, just mm -hmm. get it done. Because all God wants you to do is service people, do this, attend this retreat, learn these chord charts, teach these kids. Um, and so a lot of it for me was just, I think we talked about it on our episode, but like compartmentalizing my emotions, saving that for another time, which for 32 years, that other time never came around. Wow. Doing stuff um, that I didn't really have time to sit with my emotions and understand why I felt so completely drained after leading a war. Like I'll, I'd never forget, and I talk about this quite a bit, but I do so because it was so looking back impactful and traumatic to me. I finished leading worship at a church that Adrian and I met at a Southern Baptist church um, down here in South Florida. And I got off stage and we were in the green room with the rest of the musicians and they were all like 20, 30 years older than, than me. Um, really good musicians, cool people, but I pretended to be busy after we're done leading worship so I could wait for everyone to leave. I'm like, yeah, I got to take some stuff apart. So everyone filtered out of the room like five, 10 minutes. And when I was sure everyone was done, I laid down on the tile floor just so I could feel something. I could feel the cold of the tile. Like I, I, I laid there just staring up at the ceiling. I'm like, I can feel the cold of the tile floor because I can't feel anything else. I had so much uh, like cauterized or burned away my emotions that I just needed to feel something. I had led worship for what? 500 people, Adrian, 600 people mm -hmm. or something like that. And I didn't feel anything. Um, and so a, a lot of that I'm unpacking now. Um, yeah. And it's amazing when you give yourself time, 
like you give yourself time and you can yeah. care for yourself and realize that like putting under eye cream under your eyes before you go to bed is a great thing to take care of your skin and to be healthy. And it's not a metrosexual thing as a lot of people at the church we planted, like you yeah, and Adrian, hard time. are using lotions now? Like wow. what? There's, I can't Relax, use lotions? Bro. Is that somewhere yeah. in the Old Testament? Well, to your point, <laughs> you, yeah, right. Yeah, you haven't read that? The Old Testament book? The, it's in Leviticus. You have to yeah, parse yeah. the Hebrew. Nope. You right. wouldn't understand. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and I think, too, to add to that, Josh, like, so much of the language we experienced, Brenda, was feelings, emotive language, this sort of, like, the warm fuzzies. That was almost like a reduced iteration of Christianity. Mm -hmm that if you were a true man, you could kind of rise above that. It's not just about the way you feel. It's not about what your heart wants. And, and we've talked about this a little bit, Brenda, where it's like, feelings are the enemy. Like, what are you talking about? You're not supposed to feel, have, have an opinion about what you feel about God. It's also supposed to be what's written in the text. And I think this sort of like militant approach to divorce yourself from what you feel and just do what I tell you this book says to do mm -hmm. is kind of like undergirds the entire thing of what it meant to be a man. And, and when you look at our purity culture experience, the whole like bounce your eyes, brother, you know, the first time you see an attractive girl is okay, but the second look is sinning, you know, this sort of weird thing where it's like, okay, well, I, I have to control every aspect of my body. My body is the worst, I, you know? And so it's just so, it's like a big crock pot and it's, it, we're just now on the other side of it trying to go like, what was this ingredient? Like, what was that? You know? Yeah. The, the one thing that we were constantly told is take captive every thought. Yeah. Mm. And as a 13, 14, even as a 34 year old, like every thought, dude, like there's, I, <laughs> I, and so especially when it relates to like purity culture and when you're starting to like think about your sexuality and how that expresses itself, like there's no way a horny 13 year old boy can take captive every thought he's having and mm -hmm. so of course the other side of that coin is wow i am as bad as they are saying because i cannot take captive every thought yep. um to kind of speak to how i'm still unpacking this and to give you credit brenda um i was watching one of your videos and you were talking about all this just really crappy ways they show how, what sex does to you, you give a piece of uh, this person away, you get burned by this person, you're giving yourself away. Um, and there's like, what, rose analogies and pieces of paper and the bike. That dirty water. Everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you said, and this happened literally hours before we recorded this episode. I was outside and listening to the YouTube video and you said, but God didn't make gum or paper or bicycles. God made us we are holy and so our experiences that we experience are ours and they are good they're not tearing pieces of yourself away we're not torn up and disgusting we're not chewed gum we are made in the image of god i'm like i'm not a gum i'm a man <laughs> that's exactly what i said out loud and my neighbors are like what the fuck is he talking about i'm gonna make a t-shirt that says i'm not a gum, I'm not a gum. I'm a man. Man. <laughs> no but that just that simple just that simple sentence like I feel like uh, you, you scrubbed a piece of like like a, a piece of my soul away. Like that's clean too. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not a rose. Like I'm a man. Like I I am I'm Josh who resides in South Florida, 
Um, but yeah, e e even now I'm, I'm discovering parts of myself that was, parts of myself that were so dented and hurt and stifled uh, because of the purity culture, which people's like, like when you asked, how is purity culture for you? Like it was the 90s. It just was. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something like, I am participating in purity culture. Right. I am buying into what Josh, Joshua Harris is selling. No, yeah. it just was what we did. <laughs> yeah, no other option. That's for sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because for some reason, I always thought the men wouldn't have got those diminishing messages about your bodies. It just seems like it was more like permissive. Like you, you, I thought the girls were chewed up gum and roses, but you felt like your body could become worthless as well. Yeah, it, did, it didn't become, it already was. Mm -hmm. There was messaging on top of that. Like, uh, like if you don't talk about purity culture, there was already messaging around how our souls were dirty and we needed Jesus because our ancient grandma and grandpa sinned a bunch of years ago. Sin, mm. quote unquote. Yeah. So I was already broken. And I was so lucky that God loved me um, or Jesus, Jesus loved me enough to let God, God the beat, him up. beat the shit out of him. Um, <laughs> so that messaging where, hey, if you look at a girl two times, you better not look at the back of her knee Cause you're even like, that just adds another weight to you. I'm like, oh my, like, okay, I am really bad. Cause you're already telling me I'm bad here. I accept that. So if A plus B equals, I'm even more of a worse person cause my hormones are raging. And I mean, even like we joke about it now, but it's like when I think about it, like Kimberly from the Power Rangers, the Pink Ranger. Oh, everybody loved her. She was beautiful, but it was also yeah. like an in-joke, like, uh, yeah. like, but yeah, like, what, what's, the, what's the problem recognizing a powerful woman kicking the putty's ass? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, too, is like, I, I guess we, we, when you're kind of brought up that everything about you is the mm -hmm. problem, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you at your base level, at, like, your core is is wicked filthy rags all yeah. of those things then it kind of like predisposes you to not trust yourself you don't yeah. trust your body there's so much about yourself you don't love and so the purity culture message it didn't seem that far off i was like yeah mm -hmm. okay great so i'm the problem so let me just keep everything buttoned up keep my hands and my penis to myself or else risk the wrath of god and so you just never even questioned it. Um, now, to your point, though, like, we would be lying to say that it wasn't women that were the ones that were the most harmed. Oh, yeah. Like, we were watching it happen. Like, we were, like, we, so we can't, we were not only staffers at a church, we led worship. Um, we were worship pastors. We've been creative directors. We've been church planters before we did the podcast thing. And in the deepest moments, like, we would, we were just as much of those like patriarchal assholes trying talking about Ephesians five. And we were like consuming Mark Driscoll's content. We were consuming the John Piper stuff, but we, we bought into that stuff. And because it aligned with what we believed about ourselves, that we at our base are the worst. And then, you know, you have this pastor that comes out and he goes, well, don't worry. God loves you. Jesus loves you. Despite how shitty you are, as yeah. long as you subscribe to these tenants that I'm going to tell you the Bible is saying, then you're fine. 
you're going to go to heaven. And so in an attempt to just find something to give us worth and value and to almost pay Jesus back for the things that he did for us, despite us, we're like, okay, well, if that means that I need to act a certain way, if that means I need to start regurgitating this weird patriarchal bullshit, I'm going to do whatever it means to homogenize with the Mm -hmm. church and to finally gain acceptance and approval by God and every other fucking man that's here you know wow it's such a trip there's so much there it's insane I wish I knew the statistic too but again this boys and sex book by Peggy Ornstein she talks about how they've done studies with infants and the Mm -hmm. male infants tended to be more emotionally attuned and to react more emotionally than the infant girls so it just is such a great tragedy to me that something so pure and real and divine is not only stifled but like destroyed and stomped on and stomped out and it's interesting because that book is particularly about non-Christian culture, but the messaging is so similar. It's like the church talks about how culture is so obsessed with sex and it's like, no, you guys are obsessed with sex. They talk about how they have warped concepts of masculinity and culture. And it's like, you guys have the same warped uh, concepts. It's all this machismo. and, And I, how did it feel to, Gosh, I just can't imagine stifling emotions for so long. I'm trying to think of how to even frame a question around how it might feel to be repressed in that way. Because my first thought would be that hurting people hurt people. So what Mm. you were just talking about, Adrienne, of like, oh, I'm imparting these messages to make myself worthy just really to me implies that you were a hurting person and then you're projecting that harm onto other people without even realizing it because you're not aware that you are in harm, correct? 100%. And I think too is, is um, Josh and I both were worship leaders. And so we both are naturally emotive and we're naturally emotional. Like we were sensitive people and both songwriters. And I think when you come into the church as a man, it's almost like you're already, if you're like an artsy person, you're almost already not very well accepted because that's kind of not, like you're supposed to be like a warrior. You're not supposed to be strumming the guitar. You know what I mean? And so coming into it, going like, What about okay, David, meanwhile? How did that just discount the entire book of Psalms? Absolutely. And we actually uh, talked about this on, an, on a podcast episode, talking about these sort of gender scripts you were handed. And we found a video by Mark Driscoll, who, again, like we were such big fanboys <sighs> of the guy. Yeah. And he was like, this video, he's sitting back and he's going, you look at David, you look at Elijah. These look like dudes, you know, heterosexual, <laughs> masculine dudes who could win in a fight. <laughs> And then he just starts talking shit about, he's like, you see all these, these, uh, these feminized uh, worship leaders and the, the lyrics are feminine and the design what? is feminine. It's like, God forbid, like, what does that even mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, you mean, it, so, but that was the language, right? And David it's was like, like a sloppy mess of tears constantly. 
yes. constantly, all the time. He, he, he would talk about how he just wanted to die because of his sadness. Like that is a serious um, person who's in tune with his own physicality. He sounds like a millennial Gen Z right now in COVID. <laughs> That's, he sounds like we, me, like, yes, that, which makes me feel better. Um, mm-hmm. But that was that aspect of something that you had to squa- squash that. And what was know? weird is like looking back now, when we were church planners specifically, we were told that things need to be a certain way to bring the men in. Because if you get the men, then mm-hmm. you get the family. Yep. We have to, and, and now I'm, spe- I'm just speaking. That was the language. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just speaking how, like what we were told, but things nowadays, society as a whole is so feminine. Right, There's that was all the language. This, and so we have to avoid being feminine. We have to get the men in, because the women will come regardless. And so looking back at it now, it was just a ploy because we need more butts in the seats to affirm that all this work we're doing week in and week out, setting up this church and tearing it down, we can show off our numbers to our other church planners down here. And so now, now I can look back and go, oh my gosh, that we were just trying to do a certain thing, a certain way, like kind of coat our, our, our wording and our branding to be more masculine, use more masculine colors. What's really sad and to speak to kind of the patriarchal hamster wheel we were a part of, like it stands out in my, in my, in my head whenever the women in the church would ask, hey, we wanna do this as the women, we wanna do a women's Bible study. They were told, okay, go do it. Not given any money, <laughs> any time to speak on Sunday morning, any, any, the very least, any slides dedicated to the pre-roll that ran before church. Right. But the men's Bible study was talked about, was preached from the stage. It was, was funded, it was sourced. Yeah, it was, yeah right. And I'm like, and, and looking, like, I remember being in that moment, because it wasn't that long ago, it was three or four years ago. And I was so worried about what I had to set up on Sunday morning and who wasn't going to show and who I needed to get covered to play the bass guitar that I didn't have time to process what the women in the church were asking. They were asking for equal footing. <laughs> they were asking to be held in the same respect as men. And what did we do as a staff? No, just go ahead and do it. But we need, no, you don't have money. We don't have time to talk about it. Us men are too busy doing these other things. And any women we had on staff, which was only ever one, we told them what role they needed to fill. And then when they told us, I, I don't feel comfortable being the children's minister. That's not really my role. Well, can you just please do it until we find one? Right. And right. looking back at that now, thank God that girl is, that woman is still friends with us. Yeah. Like it was, speaks more to her integrity and love than does to ours at that time. Um, and I think too, is like, you look at the, the language of the relationship, like this sort of like patriarchal understanding of God, where like God is a man. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, clearly there is a headship thing. Yeah. There's a submission thing. There's like the way Christ is the head over the church and pa- like pastors have to be men leading the church. And so it's just handed to you going, Hey, guess what? You know, the men are the ones steering the ship. And then you who are just receiving it, you're going, uh, oh, okay, sure. But what about what they said? Don't worry about it. We need to win. We need to save souls. Oh, yeah. And so what happens is this sort of weird, like hell is real. It's happening. It's a place with a zip code. People are going there. We don't have time. 
to ask questions. We don't have time to feel. We don't have time to evaluate, to explore ourselves and to explore the way we're approaching and the way this is sitting with us. We don't have time for that. Life is short, hell is hot. You know what I'm saying? And, mm -hmm. and so all of our experience became reduced to like kind of like this quippy, kitschy, evangelical gimmick. Just that you nailed it, Josh, this hamster wheel of going yep. like, you're a man in the church. God has tasked you to be a warrior in God's army. There's no time to think you have to go to war. The interesting thing is that I, in my deconstruction phase, was intuiting so many things that I believed to be wrong that I, quote, felt were wrong. And God is Gray has been such a beautiful journey because I have had the privilege and opportunity to make those feelings valid, intellectual, mm. and theologically based. So everything that you're talking about is crazy because all of the research that I've been doing in the past several years, just knowing that, for example, Sarah Bessie talks about in her book, Jesus Feminist, how absurd it is that we had somehow taken 1950s gender roles and yes, said, oh, this yes. is biblical. And then mm. you read all of these characters in the Bible and women are out there chopping people's heads off. Women are funding Jesus's ministry with their own dime. Women are the last ones at the cross, the first ones there in the morning. That is not to say we're better than anyone else, but I don't see any women up in there like cooking and cleaning and just having that role. So I don't even know how it got so warped. And like we were talking about Solomon, David, these men knew how to express eroticism and mm -hmm. emotion to a, a dangerous degree. David is threatening to murder people. He occasionally did. So we're not saying no, managing emotions isn't valid, but to even pretend that this script is valid biblically is such BS. Not to mention, as soon as you even do a cursory review of translation, you realize that God was always referred to in both masculine and feminine pronouns. At the beginning of the earth, Holy Spirit is a feminine pronoun. And it says, we were there, male, mm -hmm. female, both words for God. So... I don't know. It's just like really mind blowing to recognize how theologically unsound everything that you've just told me actually is. But we, then, oh, go ahead. So I know I was just going to say, just to your, your point, it was like a year ago before the first time I had ever heard that God had been related to using feminine language. Mm -hmm. That was completely outside of the bubble I existed in, both Josh and I. And there was, um, was actually a poem by Allison. Shoot, I can't remember her last name. I'm going to find out and I'll let you know. Okay. But she wrote a poem called God, Our Mother. And it was just this beautiful, gut-wrenching language about the way that God pours herself out. And I had never even allowed myself to consider that. And when you grow up using God as a man and so and therefore all of these traits are expected you actually rob the divine of an entire facet of a, of, of human expression that you never thought you were allowed to experience from God and 
so even now I have a difficult time like referring to God as a he just because it's so baked in to like this weird patriarchal language, you know? Um, and I never thought I had permission to do that. You know, yeah. Well, one of the things just obey. One of the things we get accused of a lot is you're just the dirty rotten church kids, your podcast or Instagram is you're just mad at the church. You're just yeah. trying to trying to make God what you want it to be. I'm like, no, you are because mm -hmm. in, just on the simple topic of, the genders of God, like you are forcing him to be strictly masculine. You are robbing yourself and your congregation of experiencing the expression of a mother's love in the divine, of seeing the mother God as something you can turn to. You can fall into its arms and mother God will hold you and is there to listen to you and is there to make space for you. Um, and like, no, you're, you are forcing God to be something that God never asked it to be. You're forcing, and there's a whole other topic, which you're forcing the Bible to be something that it never asked itself to be. Absolutely. Um, 100%. <laughs> so when Adrian sent me that poem, it blew, I'm, I'm not even lying. And I, and I use this term a lot, but it, it actually blew my mind. Like a part of me is like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. I can see how that can be attributed to God and how beautiful that is. Um, and then going back and seeing like <laughs> so quickly, like I see how beautiful it is, but then I think back to all the ways I really messed that up in the past. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just so, so funny. And I'm sure you get that a lot too, Brenda is like, well, you're doing God is great. Cause you just, you just want to have all the sex in the world. <laughs> you just like, well, if, that, if that's an option, I'll take all the sex in the world. Let's go. Um, yeah, I did that before I had God is great. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah it's, <laughs> you're late to the, right. you're late to the party. Yeah. Right. It's, right, it's right. so funny how specifically the reform movement and Adrian and I talk about that and the things we talk about, cause we just know that so well, it's what we came up in where the reform movement had to, and still does, have to create this very delicate house of cards. Because if you're starting with one, the Bible is literal, God is a man, uh, uh, marriage is man and woman. You right. have to like look at these scriptures and look at these experiences of people in the Bible and like cut and sand down and force these things to fit these puzzle pieces, which don't, you have to, because you're not open to, well, maybe there's, a, maybe there's something different here. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so it's just a funny argument that, that we get thrown at all, us all the time. Yeah, no, and that's, uh, I just had a great talk with Phil Drysdale about deconstruction. Yeah, yeah because he's really Phil. been researching it, actually mm -hmm. putting in the work to do research on it. And the biggest uh, misunderstanding that he says people have of progressive Christians is that, oh, we were either never Christian, we must have never mm -hmm. gotten the fire for God, or we are so unfamiliar with the Bible that we are just confused. And he was saying in his research on the field, deconstructed people are traditionally the most devoted people. They were not casual churchgoers. They're ones that knew the Bible inside and out. And this is exactly the same reason that a lot of people go to theological school or seminary and lose their faith. The mm. statistics are really high of that happening which also blows my mind because to me, I'm like, 
We don't need to lie to people about God. We don't need to lie to people about the Bible. If you tell the truth, the God honest truth that God is written in masculine and feminine pronouns that the English language is patriarchal and therefore when they translated the Bible they just chose he because we defer to he when we're talking about power and that has nothing to do with the divine text as it was written what do you think it's going to happen the whole you know oh god john now you know what's this debate john piper has a deal with beth moore having a microphone boo-hoo right. get over <laughs> it that's actually biblically sound and I found this poem, uh, Alison Woodyard is her name. Yes, there it is. Yeah. I'm just going to read this portion. It yeah, says, to, to be a mother is to weep over the fighting and exclusions and wounds your children inflict on one another, to long for reconciliation and brotherly love. And when it is said and done, to gather all parties, the offender and the offended, into the folds of your embrace, and to whisper in their ears that they are beloved. To be a mother is to be vulnerable, to be misunderstood, rallied against, blamed for the heartaches of the bewildered children who don't know where else to cast the angst they feel over their existence in this perplexing universe. That is God. And you know what? Any man that lives as a father like that, any man that, that rails for reconciliation, that discontinues this us versus them BS that so many pastors are promoting now in this society that we've built with all this patriarchy. That man is not only godlike, but sexy. Mm. To be vulnerable is so attractive. And I don't think it's because, I don't think it's only because it's rare, but it's also because it's the most authentic version of somebody. If you're not being vulnerable in this life, if you're not willing to be misunderstood and blamed, if you don't have your heart on your sleeve, then what is the point of any of this? And women are so good at that. And I, you know, I'm still hesitant to ever use the word like Satan or devil, because I know that can be alienating for some people. But in my book, I call it the antagonist. And it's just this thing that's always out to destroy what is good. And I think there's no clear message that there is a, a force that wants to destroy masculinity and femininity as they are, because both are under attack under this culture. No one wins. No one feels full. No one feels like they're truly in the presence of God until they release themselves. And I want to ask you if this resonates with you, because I for a long time have seen masculinity and femininity on a scale. I just wonder now that you're deconstructed, if you feel comfortable ebbing and flowing on that masculine and feminine scale. So I'll jump in here. The term breadwinner um, was like, I don't want to say triggering because that's such a like overplayed word, but it did spark something in me. So I guess it's a trigger, whatever. Use yeah, whatever fine. Be triggered. Um, yes. Uh, so my wife is infinitely smarter than I am. Um, type A personality, super organized. Like she's very like in, in the business sense, very accomplished. She kicks ass. So when we got married, a lot of the messaging I heard from men in my life was, because I, I started out as a teacher and a teacher salary is really, unfortunately, really shitty. Yeah. So I taught for like five, six years and a lot of the messaging I got was, well, are you comfortable with your wife being the breadwinner? Like, first of all, 
how dare you make fun of me for wanting to eat bread? How did you know bread is not a weakness? <laughs> Dude, I'll pound the whole loaf. I'll just eat the whole thing. <laughs> but that's besides the point. But I felt really guilty because I, at the time I enjoyed teaching. And I'm like, well, this is what I enjoy. What, who cares if she brings in more money? But then I'm like, well, should I feel bad for that? Hmm. Like, well, great, now I do. Yeah. Um, and to me, that was such a like, well, God never told me that I had to make more money than my wife. I don't understand this. Um, and looking back now, I, I, like, I see how that came to fruition in just the way I interacted with her, like subconsciously, like I held this grudge against her because she was just really good at what she did. She was great HR. She was like working at a mom and pop place, um, like a, 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 a like a landmark, uh, I, was, I said the company, I'll just say it, landmark uh, manager, they like manage properties and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she was kicking ass, she was doing really well. Um, and so what was also funny is when we had our first kid, just to kind of take things away from her and to just allow her to be a, like a new mom and enjoy that experience. Like I'll just start cooking to make things easier. And I found this whole love of, I love cooking. And like, I, now I love baking and I have all these tools in oh, my- Just sinning left and right. What a yeah. sinner, how dare you? Yeah. God's so, weeping while, you, while you're baking. Yes, but then I, then I get shit for having more tools in my kitchen than in my garage. Are you wearing an oh apron? God. That would be a true yeah. um, <laughs> And I'm like, yes, it's, so to speak to like all your questions you asked, now I find so much freedom in expressing myself in a well-cooked meal for my friends while my wife just hangs out. Um, and anyone who gives me shit about, well, you're cooking and your wife should be in the kitchen. Like, then don't, don't eat my tacos, dude. Get yeah, out of get here. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're enjoying the fruits of my labor. <laughs> no tacos um, for you. Well, yeah, also, no. wait, before I forget too, it just yeah. like, brings me back to the story of, um, what are the two women, uh, were the ones scurrying around the kitchen and Jesus mm-hmm. chastises her. That story was always read to me. What are their names? Why am I blinking on it? Um, whatever. Jesus goes into a home. Yeah. One, of, one of the women is ingesting his teachings. She's at his feet. Oh, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Is that right? She, thank you. Yes. Mary and Martha. <laughs> so one of them is at his feet, enjoying the teaching with all of the men. The other one is scurrying around the kitchen, making everything perfect. That message was always given to me by men to say, mm-hmm. yes, see, she should have been paying attention. She should have realized that Jesus was in her oh. house. He had to tell her and like rebuke her and tell her to sit down hey hey i'm jesus over here (laughs) and now when i when you read that story you're on your own as an Mm -hmm. independent thinker and a person i'm like how dare you have told the story in that way so you're saying no matter what women do they're always wrong when in fact that woman was just culturally doing what you would tell all of us to do, which is like, you better be scaring around the kitchen. You better be cooking. You better do all these feminine things. Right. Even if it means missing the Lord and savior of the world sitting yeah. in your living room, Jesus didn't chastise her. Jesus invited her to mm-hmm. not be trapped in this role that all of those, none of the other men sitting on the floor said it to her. Jesus had to be the one to say, no, screw your gender role come sit down here with me and the men and you're going to listen to this message and enjoy it 
unequal to everybody else. So what's funny is like you said, is very in line with what the church says. The church says, come as you are. Hmm. God, Jesus accepts you as you are. But then when you do that, like, nope, you have to be in the kitchen or you have to be working <laughs> in your car. Bait right. and switch, ultimately. Yes. Yeah. And because of all that messaging, the breadwinner, and you should be in the kitchen, like... In the, the submissive, whatever. Yeah, that. yeah I was right. talking to Adrian on the phone. And at the end, I caught myself saying, I love you, Adrian. And I hung up the phone. I'm like, wait, yes, I do love Adrian. Why do You're I You're calling not? back like, no homo. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. First of all, I've never said that. That's the stupidest thing ever. I hate that so much. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, wait, wait, really quick. Have you ever heard yeah. the, um, they did, they just like basically researched the hashtag no homo on Twitter. And okay. what they found was that it was almost exclusively 100% of men desperately trying to give affection to people mm, they love damn. and wow. having to make a joke out of it, like just to negate their yeah. sensitivity and their emotions. Yeah. Right. And that, that speaks to just what you were saying, how like that aspect of you is just not accepted. It's just yeah. not allowed, you know, mm -hmm. even when you talk about like saying, oh, you know, like he's a, he's a man who's also like very sensitive, but there's still like masculinity there. Even that sort of like category, that categorization, I've always just had a difficult time with that. You know, and I think to kind of answer your, your question, Brenda, like for me, what I've been having to unlearn is like, it's not so much of me consciously trying to kind of tie together masculine aspects and, and feminine aspects in as much as it's trying to be like, exactly as I am mm -hmm. is all that I need to be. Yeah. That what I, what I bring to the table is completely holy and accepted. And whatever that looks like, whatever form and function that is, then that's just what it is, you know? And, and the things that I bring to the table, I bring to my relationship to, with my family, like instead of me trying to go, oh, that is a masculine thing I need to downplay or a masculine thing I need to shore up or whatever, instead just being like, this is who I am. And let me just breathe into that and be proud of that. And instead of, and I, and I think when you're brought up in the church as an evangelical, there are so many boldened lines that are constantly drawn, the in and the out. And then once you're in, how in are you? Mm -hmm. What do you have to do in order to stay in? There's these constant lines that are constantly being drawn. Yeah. And I think what I have been trying to do on this side of everything is to just kind of like let those lines kind of bleed together um, because they're, it's all, it's all part of the divine experience. But like thinking. even yeah. in our staff meetings, when we'd be meeting at the church we planted, we did it for four or five years. Even in the staff meetings, like jokes would be thrown around and I would laugh and Adrian would laugh because I think we just felt like we had to laugh. But Adrian was always painted as the more emotional person. Like Adrian's like, yeah, yeah, Adrian, you would have a, uh, an opinion about the color swatch we're using for this. <laughs> And like, and then I was always painted as, I remember people even call me like you're a Wolverine, you're tenacious. I'm like, I guess I have to be. Um, well. Yeah, it, it, like I, I just thought of that right now. I just saw me and Adrian 
in that stupid little office building around yeah. that stupid little table and like i was always like i was yeah. always like the really sensitive like, yeah oh hey oh don't tell it to adrian it's like oh we're gonna talk about sports now adrian go ahead and tune out or whatever like this little thing and then and then josh would be like josh josh is the like the piss and vinegar like the fiery one he's the one that you know gives no fucks or whatever yeah. Um, so yeah, so it is this thing that's like handed to you and then you're kind of expected to just step into it. So yeah. it's definitely yeah. been a process to unlearn. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So Josh, I loved your story talking. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but when you were lying on that tile floor, just to be able to feel something, yeah. I think in conclusion of this conversation, I would love to impart some hope to anyone listening to mm-hmm. say, so when you've realized you've become so disconnected and compartmentalized that it takes the cold of tile to wake you up in some way now you're only four years out of this which i feel like is still very brand new and there's so much to unravel especially since you were raised in that environment so what does it look like feel like how does it actually work in practice to welcome emotions back into your life and feelings back into your life i don't know it just, to me, it shows up in just like moments that weren't emotional. A lot of it's been happening when I'm working out. My wife got a Peloton bike. Oh, lucky. Um, right before COVID. Um, she found someone who was selling it like cheaper, so we got it. And then I hopped on it one day. Like, I don't want to, we live in South Florida. And it's, I think it's like constantly 107 degrees. Uh, so one morning I'm like, I don't really want to go running. I'll try this bike thing out. And I find I found myself like while pedaling through this pain, having really emotional responses to these women or men telling me that I'm worth this. I'm worth you're worth this 30 minutes, this 15 minutes. Like wow. push yourself because it's okay to be selfish and it's okay to want to be better. I'm like, is it? And in that moment, you don't have time to think. You just I'm just fucking pedaling as hard as I can. Um, <laughs> So it's looked a lot like that. It's looked a lot like I worried for so many years about what I was doing, what I looked like, to who, like what was my, like what everyone perceived me to be. It looked like more just enjoying my family time, letting things come as they may, um, enjoying like the mystery of not knowing. And because of like this, this space, we kind of just like, barged ourselves into in this progressive Instagram account or this, this side of spirituality that we weren't really privy to before, like talking to Joe Lumen or talking to Kevin Garcia or Lauren Scott, or just our friends that we grew up around, just allowing people to talk to us and just allowing their words to wash over me. Mm. And I can take them, I can leave them. Um, and for my friendships, like I think Adrian and I have grown closer and I mean, it kind of helps when the, in the same life stage, like being fathers and whatnot, but like, and like with my wife, um, like in the bedroom, just being able to enjoy different things, like just different aspects of ourselves. You talked about it in our podcast, like allowing God into that space, allowing the divine into that space and realize that is also holy and it's also beautiful. Mm. Um, but also like outside of our, our, like the sex lives, my wife and I experienced just like in our family life, just able to do kind of whatever we want sunday morning is ours let's just do nothing (laughs) wow much bacon as we can (laughs) and god created pigs so um yeah we do have to kill them more humanely though (laughs) 
Yeah, I do agree on that. I 100% that agree will, with that. That will be on podcast the next episode. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it comes out in a lot of ways, which before I feel like my life was very much one stream of things. It was very church and God driven, but now my life looks like a lot of different rivers all running in the same direction. So Adrian, how would you answer yeah. that question more succinctly than me? I think I, I'm going to say, I think you nailed it. What, what he said. No, I didn't. Sorry, my baby's just saying hi to me. <laughs> I, I figured by the faces you were making, it had to be your son. You're making these really cutesy faces. Like, He's so sweet. <laughs> well, yeah, if you guys are in agreement, I think it's really telling that you, some of your first experience was with physicality, with bike, because a huge part of my healing as well has been embodiment. Because our bodies were such villains and that includes our emotions and our feelings. So just being able to accept that a lot of times it's very, it's like a jump start to get into your physical body. For me, that would be like dancing in, in an erotic, free, open way in my living room because there's so many places where you're not allowed to do that or where you'll be judged for behaving in a certain way. So I think imagining that men could get an initial release from a lot of these things by running your ass off, by biking your ass off and just playing with the notion of like, what if I'm allowed to also feel? And God can really meet you in that space. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with sexuality. If you make decisions with your partner to say, we're going to experiment this thing. We are going to welcome God into this space we're going to both assess how this feels that's also full embodiment because it's physical spiritual mental it's all of it so i think a lot of those exercises that just bring it down from this intangible weird confusing convoluted space in your head into the physical realm where god put us where our bodies belong like these are the vessels we are given to explore mm -hmm. the world so they are divine i think it's it's trash that we've ever been told that they're not so yeah embodiment it sounds like was a huge component to your freedom 100 percent. yeah it was funny is embodiment is also like a very a black metal band oh yeah you keep nice. saying embodiment i just hear like crazy guitarists <laughs> <laughs> well yeah oh, that's, that's, that's what i was referring to what, yeah, she, you, what were you talking about she's talking Got about you. the black okay <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh my baby well, yeah, looking at my baby, it's just such a privilege to have a son. Mm. I'm so um, honored and happy to hear that you both have a son and a daughter. How experimental and interesting that will be to yeah. raise up this next generation of deconstructed people mm -hmm. actually navigating in a world in which I'm never going to impose colors or toys or emotions onto my son. I'm never going to tell him to man up. I'm never going to mm. tell him I'll give him something to cry about. Okay. I will help him manage his emotions. You don't want a child, male or female, blubbering around, not able to function. <laughs> so you teach them how to manage. And um, I hate to go back to this book continually, but it's so amazing. Everyone go pick up Peggy Ornstein's Boys and Sex. I think I would recommend you both get Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex if you're raising uh, one of each child, because it's just so telling to realize and to imagine what it's going to be like to raise a generation that doesn't have to deal with mm. all of these rules and regulations, and they just actually get to figure out who they are. 
And in that book, women can really lead the way. That's why it is so awful that we've been dismissed in so many of these spaces of leadership because women have been practicing emotions and being in touch with our emotions, being able to express our emotions since the day we were bored, uh, born. And I wouldn't say the same with embodiment. I think for a lot of Christian women, that's also a separate journey. But women can really lead and help men tap into that. So not being afraid of sitting down with your wife, your girlfriend, your best friend, whoever, and be like, all right, let's do some emotions <laughs> and just, <laughs> just let an expert lead the way, you know? That's usually the way I approach it. My wife, I'm like, okay, it's time to do emotions. <laughs> all right, we're we're going to go ahead and do emotions for the next 35 minutes. It really just gets her into the like mood. She loves it. Yeah. Like, let's not be gay about it, okay? Let's just do this. Hashtag time. no homo. Time is over for the doing of emotions. Back to what we're doing. Now shove Ridiculous. it all back down. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Well, this has been wonderful. Now we, we've all spent two hours together. Please yeah. go check out the dirty, rotten, uh, wait, dirty, rotten. I want to go to call you scoundrels. Dirty, rotten. Whatever. You can. Yes. It's fine. <laughs> dirty, Kids podcast. And you'll find our conversation and a lot of other wonderful mm -hmm. conversations on there as well. It's been such a pleasure and a horrific lesson in what you men have gone through in church and um, yeah, just thank you for being so transparent about even some of the damage you have made caused in the world under that, because I think it's hopefully freeing to hear any women that have been really hurt by men like you to see a pair of you guys on the other side saying, I'm sorry, I acknowledge this happened and this is what I was going through, through that experience as well, because again, we all suffer. There's really mm. no villains in this story. It's just a bunch of hurting people hurting people. And now we're in the process of healing. So thank you for having a channel that advocates for that healing. That's really kind of you. Thanks so yeah. much for having us. You're <laughs> awesome. <Super> nice. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you and everything that you're doing. Seriously. Vice versa. Uh, where can everybody find you before you go? Joshy. Oh, yeah. So we're Dirty Rotten Church Kids on Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, we're Dirty Rotten CK. And if you want to send us an email, dirtyrottenck at gmail.com. Adrian, you want to talk about our sweet merch? Yeah, Aww. we just dropped a merch store we're really uh, stoked about. So if you go to, I think it's teespring.com slash store slash Dirty Rotten Church Kids. Uh, and we have a link in our Instagram bio to bring to all of our stuff. And then if you listen to a podcast, we'll drop the link there as well. Okay, perfect. All right. We love you all so much. God bless.